Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, I'm super excited to share the good news that I have written another book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years, responds to the cost of living crisis that many people find themselves in. Whether you are paying off a mortgage, you've paid off a mortgage, you aspire to buy a house and have a mortgage, or you know someone who does have a mortgage, this book will have lots of frugal tips and tricks as well as some finance hacks for you. Thank you so much. You my frugalisters and welcome. Today I have a special guest and of course all of my guests are special. Today's guest is someone who is passionate about property, something that I am also passionate about. But first, I have a favour to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast and find it useful, please pay it forward by sharing with a friend. And even better, please follow the Joyful Frugalista podcast and also follow the Joyful Frugalista on Facebook. Drew Evans is a successful property investor who bought his first property at age 21. He is co-founder and director of, now I'm going to say this wrong because I'm going to say it with a Chinese pronunciation, so it's Kaifu Property. But it is actually from a Mandarin word. So from those of you who speak Mandarin, I think it was originally came from the words Taifu, boutique privately owned real estate investment advisory firm. He aims to assist time poor professionals grow their wealth through property. Drew holds a Bachelor of Business from the University of Newcastle, Diploma of Financial Planning from Kaplan and is a qualified mortgage broker and real estate agent. So he is definitely well qualified to talk about property. Welcome, Drew. Hi, Serena. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the Joyful Frugalista podcast. I actually wanted to go back and ask you about the first property you invested in because I, I, I believe there's a bit of a story there. Uh, it sure is. Well, I uh, actually grew up in a country called Zimbabwe in Africa. So uh, if you notice a, a bit of a twang in my accent, that's why. I was living with uh, you know mum and dad on the farm and uh, at the time, unfortunately, the Mugabe regime, dad got really badly beaten up. I was at boarding school at the time and they said, Drew, brother and sister, no more. Uh, we're packing our bags and we're going to Australia. So we essentially came over here in 2001 with, with not a lot of money. That must have been quite a shock, actually. So like your life just suddenly changed. It was, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, looking back now, I had such a fortunate upbringing and I'm so grateful for what we had. But in the same respect, I'm extremely grateful that we came to a country like Australia, you know, where you can start from nothing and fast forward to where we are today and, and make something of yourself. The passion for property really started because uh, when I went to university, my parents actually invested in a, a couple of houses close to the university. And the deal that I had was I got to live there for free, but I had to manage the properties. What I did, Serena, is I actually rented them out to my buddies. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there were four bedroom houses. We converted the garage to turn it into a seven bedroom house. We then rented it out per room. I think at that time it was $130 a room which was obviously all the rent, all the water, electricity, the internet. And that sparked my interest for, for property because essentially the positive cash flow for those properties were incredible. And, and that sort of sparked my, uh, my interest in investing in real estate. There was quite a shortage of housing accommodation for students back then, I remember. In fact, I got into homestay hosting around about that time, around about 2001, 2002. And that was something that really helped me build my own property portfolio at the time as well. But a lot of people didn't have the foresight to see that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, in, in hindsight, incredible strategy. And uh, it's, it's sort of sparked it from there. So I uh, actually worked as a, a financial planner for the National Australia Bank for a while. It wasn't really my cup of tea. Uh, went traveling, ran out of money, went traveling, <laughs> ran out of money. 
pretty pretty standard sort of story. I was not <laughs> expecting you to say that. I was expecting you to say, yes, I've been frugal since, you know, the age of four or something. <laughs> I uh, I have been extremely frugal if you speak to all of my friends. But, uh, you know, what you do today pays you tomorrow tenfold. Um, and that's uh, something that's stuck with me from, from day dot. So I then actually got into property by default. I started working for Newcastle's biggest house and land developer understood the industry and sort of figured out what to do, but more importantly, what not to do. I then worked for Sydney's biggest property education company. Same thing, learned the insides of what to do and also what not to do. And uh, back in 2015, I was like, wow, my property portfolio at the time was producing enough positive cash flow that I didn't have to rely on a job, which allowed me the flexibility to set up Kaifu uh, and do what I do today. Fabulous. And so was it scary when you bought your first property? Like how old were you when you you did that? Uh, yeah, I think I was uh, 21 or, or, or thereabouts. Um, was it scary? No, not really. Uh, I mean, obviously going into debt is something I'm super comfortable with, something that my parents instilled in us from a young age, believe it or not. Uh, in Zimbabwe, I don't know if your listeners are aware of this, but I grew up in an environment with hyper, hyper, hyperinflation. So what we're experiencing in today's economic environment for me is a piece of cake. We literally, when I went back there last, you'd fill up a wheelbarrow full of cash. And the saying was, throw the cash away and pay with the wheelbarrow. So I've always been comfortable with debt and still am comfortable with debt, as long as it looks after itself. The last thing you want to do is to, to buy a property or buy an investment, which ties you further and further to your job or further and further to your business. My investment philosophy is you want to own a real estate that pays you, you don't have to pay it. And there's some great strategies around how to do that. Yeah, don't no, thank you for sharing because certainly my experience when we were property investors were that the making the mortgage payments was huge. Like, and when I separated from my ex husband, we had ten properties together, and I had the main responsibility for paying those. It was it was quite a big thing actually. It was it was very scary. Although I did get through through communicating with the bank and careful budgeting, and you know knowing that I was good with money and I had a good job. But it is really scary that that and and then. You know, with interest rates, I take your point. Interest rates are not actually historically high. They are actually still fairly low, certainly in terms of my memory as, as an investor. However, the speed at which they've gone up is very fast. Crazy. Isn't it crazy? Like the last three years of just what's gone from strength to strength to strength. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that are really struggling from a day-to-day perspective, yeah. not only for homeowners or investors, but also for tenants. Um, you know, I've got a, a lot of clients that are essentially you know, single stay-at-home mums that want to invest. And they say, Andrew, we're doing everything we can to save money. But the unfortunate thing, with, which is happening at the moment now, is the rate of savings is outpacing the rate of what it costs to get into a piece of real estate. So it's kind of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, another thing related to that is that people in Australia right now love to hate property investors. Like um, I had a coffee with someone, I think, probably about 18 months ago, and I thought it was just going to be a nice, you know, happy coffee meetup. And I happened to mention problems I was having with one of my investment properties, with the management of it, and he just went off. And I was like, what on earth is happening here? And then I just realised just so how angry a lot of younger people are about the housing affordability crisis, about the difficulties they are facing with renting and getting into the market. And in their mind, it's all the property investors who are causing the problem. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's a, a crazy way to look at it, right? And I guess everyone's got their own stories and forms their own opinions. There's no right or wrong, just, just different. But I guess my take is this, is we live in such a beautiful country where everybody wants to live. We've got construction numbers, which are at an all-time low, 
We've got immigration at an all-time high. We've got vacancy rates at an all-time low. So you've got this perfect storm where things are just getting more and more expensive. And that's not just from a property value perspective. That's also from a rental perspective. I think we mentioned before we started, I'm looking at moving up to the Gold Coast. Apparently, so is the rest of the country because (laughs) things there have gone crazy. They have. It's so expensive. You know, I feel sorry for people. Like I've got two two young kids and I honestly don't know how they're going to get into the market by the time they are of age, other than from the help of the bank of mum and dad. Um, it's, it's incredibly tough. But I think the mindset to say that, hey, property investors are the problem is completely the wrong mindset because in the way that I look at it is property investors are the solution. You know, we're the ones that actually have to go to work, get loans, get leverage and, and provide housing for people that can't. If you have a look at it, the, the majority of investors in Australia have one or two properties. It's not like we're Harry Triggerboff that has billions and billions of dollars in, in a form of greedy basis of investing in real estate. Most Australians are investing in real estate to help themselves get ahead financially. I appreciate that you know sometimes people may have that sort of attitude towards property investors, but the reality is a lot of property investors are just like myself, just like you, work hard, save hard, invest hard, are frugal to set themselves up financially. And I don't think you should be punished for that. That's uh, you know, something that's admirable. We had an incident many, many years ago where we had a tenant who was consistently behind rent over a long, long period of time. And eventually we served them with notice to vacate. They ended up staying. The court ended up, the tribunal ended up overturning that. But the point was that by doing that, we got them to pay. But anyway, in this process, they missed those notices because they were on holidays. So they're behind in rent, right? And they're on holidays. And this was way back when smartphones were fairly new. They sent their notice from the their iPhone to say that they'd missed the notices. People often have this view as about the greedy landlords. And it, it is often hard. Like at the same time as they're doing that, we've still got to maintain the property and pay money for regular maintenance. We've still got to pay for the mortgage payments, we've still got to pay, you know, land tax and rates and so forth. But people really do think that landlords just have masses and masses of money. Yeah, I guess it comes down to a mindset and a psychology too, right? Like I'm of the perspective, uh, and Tony Robbins is saying is this, is life's not full of a lack of resources, but a lack of resourcefulness. And that's where, uh, for me personally, you can sit on the sidelines and you can whinge and moan and, and complain, or uh, I guess you can get educated and you can find out about how to do it yourself. Because as I said, a lot of the world's millionaires and billionaires all founded their wealth starting from property investing. Mm. Well, thank you. I didn't realize how important property investing was in terms of building wealth. Although uh, Think and Grow Rich, which is one of my earlier favorite books, does talk about the importance of home ownership in terms of building your overall wealth perspective. Totally, totally. I think that's an interesting uh, concept as well, because um, you know a lot of people think that the great Australian dream is to own your own home, uh, which it is. But when you own your own home, it does come with a lot of uh, sacrifice. It comes with a lot of commitment because you are stuck to paying a a mortgage in in today's society, a very hefty mortgage. So a lot of clients that I work with now, we we come with the term rent vesting. I don't know if you've heard of it before. Where I have, but please explain to my listeners. Sure thing. So um, I actually did this when I was living in Sydney. You know, I lived in one of the best suburbs in Double Bay in Sydney. I couldn't afford to buy a house there because it's so expensive, but I could definitely afford to rent an apartment there. So- What I did is I rented where I wanted to live and I invested where I could essentially afford to and build money that way. Uh, And that's a a little takeaway, which I think sometimes the youth of today, myself included, uh, they don't have the foresight and they think that everything should happen right now. Where for me, I rent vested for a good chunk of time. 
my investment portfolio went up. And then when I was in a financial position to do so, I then bought my own house. And that's where I guess it comes down to strategic planning, understanding your budgeting, forecasting, and, and having a goal to work towards, as opposed to sitting on the sideline and having that victim mentality. I know that the rent invest model is very popular, especially with people, younger people on the, the fire movement or on a fire track on the financial independence, retire early track of, of things. In terms of regional areas, though, like we've seen an incredible exodus of people, particularly younger people during COVID, to regional areas. You know, the ability to work from home, work remotely has really changed things. Is there still value to be found outside of main capital cities and urban areas? Totally. I think there's value to be held in every market. It just depends on the property-specific property that you find. A lot of the work that we do now is in places like Newcastle, the Hunter Valley, the Central Coast. And, and to be honest, Serena, where we're finding a lot of growth in the market now is as you head up the coastal line up towards the Gold Coast. So places like Port <laughs> where, Macquarie. Where you want to go. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sucks for me, but it, it's, the, it's the reality is people now understand you don't have to go into an office every day. You can have remote working environments. Places like uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane are incredibly unaffordable for most. So you're finding other regional markets. So Port Macquarie, Yamba, Coffs Harbour, Ballina, Lennox Head, these are all phenomenal lifestyle markets and property is still well affordable in these areas. Now, you were talking earlier, and I want to pick up on this, about you know how there's actually low construction rates across the country and this is one of the problems leading to housing affordability. Is there an easy solution to this? Listen, I wish there was an easy solution. And the challenge is I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. COVID, unfortunately, didn't do the construction industry any favours at all. Of course, I turn on the news today and there's a lot of builders that unfortunately are going out of business, going into liquidation. You've got trade prices that are going through the roof. You've got material costs that are going through the roof. You've got councils, unfortunately, that are so backlogged with approval numbers. Now, I mean, to be fair, uh, Anthony Albanese came out at the uh, National Cabinet meeting and said, listen, part of our plan to help improve the rental affordability and obviously the housing supply is to fast track the approval process and to invest money to improve the supply side. And Serena, for me, that is music to my ears because it's the first time we've really seen in the political sphere how to improve the supply issue, not about how to improve the demand issue. Mm. The challenge with that, though, is it's one thing to come out with these amazing claims from a political perspective, but to physically implement it is, is easier said than done. I'll give you some statistics. So Anthony Albanese came out and said, listen, we need to produce 1.2 million new homes over the next five years. If you work backwards from that, that's 240,000 new homes a year for the next five years. To put it into context, I looked at the Australian Bureau of Statistics and over the last 20 years, the best year that we had in terms of approval numbers was 67,000. And that was in wow. 2020. So it is quite yeah. an ambitious goal. And, and I'm guessing we don't have so many builders that are just ready there to start making increased numbers of homes. Yeah, well, totally. I mean, you've got some of the biggest builders in the country that have gone into liquidation. It's it's horrible, right? And this is, I guess, the side effects of what's happening with COVID and what's happening with inflation and affordability. But everyone needs to remember what builder in their right mind is going to go take on a project or take on a building if it's not profitable for them to do? Like, why would you bother? So whilst I think the affordability crisis is going to get worse, the rental crisis is going to get worse, it's good to see the government now starting to shift their focus away from improving the supply as opposed to just putting fuel on the fire on the demand side. Because we, we don't have a demand problem. Everybody wants to get into real estate. 
we have a supply problem. And, and that's, you know, property investing 101, demand and supply need to find an equilibrium. And that's when prices obviously will, will chill out a bit. So let's talk about prices then, since we've, we've raised it. Are prices now unrealistic for the average person to get into either home ownership or investing? I think that's a loaded question because it depends on what your goal and what your strategy is. You know, for me, I would love to live in Double Bay in Sydney. I'd love to do it, right? But the reality is I can't afford to. So for me, I find areas and I find markets where I can afford to get into and I can afford to invest. I think that the rate of income growth is not in line with the rate of property growth. And this is also a big takeaway. A lot of people think that it's the property values that are going up and up up in value, when in reality, it's not. It's actually the purchasing power of the currency is diminishing. Everybody talks about inflation, and it's a hot topic at the moment. Mm. But there's a big difference between the cost of living in terms of the basket of goods versus the asset inflation, and that's a huge big difference. So to answer your question, I think that the, the wealth divide is going to get bigger and bigger to those who can afford to buy assets versus those who can't afford to buy assets. Could you just delve into the asset inflation issue a little bit more? Because I think that's a really important thing. I mean, definitely people, I think, understand inflation when they go to the supermarket and see lettuces for $12. But what does it mean for their assets? Yeah, totally. So if you have a look at uh, you know the suburb that I was looking to move to in the Gold Coast, last year, it had a growth of 70%, 0 which is insane, right? Like most properties should go up between 6.8 to 10% per annum. That's what the historical average sort of shows. So for me, it's being able to be able to secure a property, knowing that the cost to replace that property is only going to get more and more expensive. Like I always talk about, imagine my staff come to me. Do you think they're going to come to me and say, hey, Drew, please, please give me a pay decrease? <laughs> of course not, right? It's never going to happen. Things are just getting more and more expensive. And if you extrapolate that across a whole economy, you know, your brick layer is getting more expensive. The cost of bricks are getting more expensive. The labor for people in council to give the approvals are getting expensive. And you extrapolate this all up, it's the assets that are going up a lot more in value. So one of the best things that my parents taught me when I was very young is you want to get into today's debt and pay it off with tomorrow's dollars, right? I remember when, you know, this is 10 years ago, somebody had a million dollar property. You were like, oh my goodness me, they are so rich. That house is amazing. Now, like a million dollar property is kind of the norm in some respects. It's not that impressive. And that's what asset inflation does, is the value of the asset grows up substantially because the purchasing power of your currency becomes less and less. I see. And I must admit, back in 2001, when I bought my first house, it was nearly $250,000 to purchase. I think it was about two hundred thirty-nine, And I remember freaking out, going, oh my God, it's like almost a quarter of a million dollars in debt. And it's like, now you're like... That would be just like nothing to pay off. It's crazy. And this is the thing I always ask myself, right? Like where uh, where I live, there's a suburb where 10 years ago, we're helping clients invest in houses for $315,000, $315,000. That same area now, there's houses for $950,000. Wow. $950,000. And you go, okay, so let's forecast this. In another 10 years time, are we going to sit back today and go, wow, I should have bought that house. It was only $950,000. It's something that plays in my mind the whole time. And if you have a look at history, we probably will. And again, it's not that the property is growing in value. It's the purchasing power of the currency is getting less and less. Mm, interesting point. So I wanted to talk as well about developing because I know this is something that is very passionate for you too. What do you advise your clients in terms of developing property? Yeah, if you have a look at uh, some of the wealthiest people in the world, they all started off by investing in property and developing real estate. 
for me, I have this, uh, this saying, you should never invest retail. That is where your strategy is to buy a property and then hope and pray that it goes up over time. Because unless you bought the right property, sometimes it takes 5, 10, 15 years to find out that you bought a lemon. So my strategy that I've implemented personally, and obviously I help a lot of clients with, is finding opportunities that are under market value that you can add value to through doing small developments, whether that's building a house or doing a duplex or a triplex. And then at the end, you have a significant equity advantage to allow you to keep growing and moving your portfolio forward. So it's investing wholesale to speed up the results as opposed to investing from a retail perspective, which really your success is out of your control. Growing up in Brisbane, there used to be a lot of really big blocks that were very easy to subdivide. And that was sort of an easy way that people were able to build their wealth. Are there still those sorts of opportunities around in major capital cities or does it depend? I think it really depends, but um, it, it staggers me now how small are the block sizes are actually getting, I know. especially in capital cities. It's crazy. You know, the quarter acre block dream is, <laughs> is becoming, uh, you know, further and further away, especially in capital cities. I think now there's definitely always opportunity, right? Always. But it, it comes down to how much does it cost you to purchase that versus what's it worth at the end? And the last thing you ever want to do investing in any type of strategy is to throw good money after bad. So when I talk about you know investing, for me, it's not necessarily about the type of property that you're investing in. It's more about the result that it's going to generate. Yeah. And I guess not everyone has that long-term forecast, do they? Like a lot of people are like, oh, I love this house. It's got a beautiful color scheme. <laughs> totally, totally. totally. Uh, for us, I mean, we're pretty, pretty factual, pretty black and white um, is, hey, if I was to develop this duplex today, what's the total purchase price? versus if it was complete today, what would each duplex half be worth? And then what's the margin in between? And for us, if there's no margin in between, then we brush over it and we don't look at it uh, on behalf of our clients. There has to be an equity advantage at the, at the finish line. Otherwise, we don't do it. Because one of the things that we're finding today, Serena, is obviously with interest rates going where they are, with the cash flows of most things compressing, you want to have options at the end to allow you to pay down debt to help with your cash flow and also allow you to keep growing your portfolio. Cash flow, that's an interesting one. For so long, advisors were saying, you know, take advantage of negative gearing. And in my case, the background in the public service, you know, nice, secure job was one of the few things you could actually do to legitimately uh, reduce your taxable income. But that said, yeah. it's very easy to negatively gear, as you know. You just buy something that's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Listen, I've got to be honest, I'm, uh, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of negative gearing. For me, it doesn't really make too much sense to buy an asset to lose your money just to reduce your tax. Obviously, there's this significant benefits to doing that strategy. But for me personally, like I mentioned in the beginning, I want to invest in real estate that pays me, I don't have to pay it. And if you are paying tax in Australia, that's the cost of living in such a beautiful country. For me, it is what it is. Yeah, my tax accountant uh, who I've had on this podcast as well, he says something similar. He says, if you're paying tax, it's because you're earning money. So <laughs> like he does a very good job, don't get me wrong, in terms of reducing my taxable income, but he definitely makes it very clear that it is a responsibility to pay tax and we do the right thing. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. <laughs> I have one final question, which is, do you have a frugalista tip to share? Um, I do, yeah. So I guess... It... <laughs> I am the biggest frugal person going around, and uh, I guess my tip is what you do today will pay you tenfold tomorrow. I love that. Yeah, always live within your means, and, and times are tough now, right? So saving money is incredibly hard. If you've got a job, you know, you've got a good income, it means you pay a huge amount of tax, you've then got to pay to live, whether that's a mortgage or whether it's rent, and then you save money. 
So for me, what I found personally is it's a lot easier to figure out ways to improve your income as opposed to save your current income. But live within your means, set yourself up today and your tomorrow will thank you for it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Drew. Now, where can my listeners find you? Yeah, if you have a look at uh, my company website, which is www.kaifuproperty.com.au, you can find all the information about what we do and how we help our clients on our website. Wonderful. And you actually pronounce it properly because it is your company and you know how to pronounce it. So. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much, Drew, for being my guest. Thanks, Rita. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Oh, I-